Good evening once again, Brother White. Good evening, Grace Baptist Church. Thank you again for the opportunity uh, of allowing me to preach the Word of God. It has been a joy these days to be able to open the scriptures and to preach, thus saith the Lord, and why in times like these, how we need the Bible. I'm thankful for Brother White. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for your Bible school. And I trust and pray that God will continue to give great leadership and great blessing as uh, he has promised to do and he will continue to do. He has started a good work. He will continue to perform that good work until one day we see our Savior face to face. Even so come Lord Jesus. Oh, how we desire and trust and hope that these are the last days of the last days. But until he comes, you and I must be found faithful about the master's business. You are a great encouragement. You as a church have done a wonderful work for the Lord. Let me just encourage you to join Brother White and say, let's step out by faith. And in these times, let's accomplish mighty works for God, trusting him every step of the way. Thank you again for being so gracious to me. What a privilege it is uh, to be able to preach, even if it's in the manner we don't necessarily like, but it's a, certainly a great privilege and an honor to be able to preach with Grace Baptist Church. Let me invite you to open your Bible one more time to the book of Luke in chapter 13. The book of Luke in chapter 13 in your Bible tonight. And, and of course, if you were making your way through the book of Luke, you would have to shake your head at the alarming rate at which things are happening. The pace is beginning to quicken. Of course, nothing is going to slow down until finally the Lord Jesus will make his final trip to Jerusalem and there he will die for the sins of the world. By leading its way up to Luke chapter 13, Jesus has cast out a devil. And then he did what he does many times in Luke. He condemns the religious establishment. The Bible tells us the crowd is innumerable. And that's when Jesus ridicules a man who loves his barns more than his own soul. He tells his little flock, you better be certain that you're not worried about stuff like that man is. Because if you are, you are going to worry about losing your stuff. Your priorities will be wrong. He tells the multitude in a stunning moment in time that he did not come to unite them, but he came to divide them. He reminds his disciples that he is going to come again. And in the chapters that precede Luke 13, the Lord Jesus has preached multiple times on the judgment of God and on the wrath of God. In other words, he has preached on subjects that are not tolerated and they are not welcome in my Modern houses of religion. Without compromise, without fear, the Lord Jesus has boldly proclaimed the words of God. And now we come to Luke chapter 13 and verse number one. And whoever would have guessed, but now Jesus is going to have to deal with something entirely different. The Bible says in verse number one, there were present at that season some that told them of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Well, now all of the preaching and all of the back and forth and all of the tension between religion versus Christ, all of these things are going to come to a stop because there is something far more important. There is something on the agenda that is far bigger, bigger than preaching, bigger than heaven or hell. Well, to some people it is because now whoever would have guessed, Jesus has to deal with breaking news. Father, we ask for your help one more time tonight as we open the Bible. For someone without Christ, may they understand the great message of the Bible to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for your children now that the word of God would convict us, it would get us in the right direction, that, Lord, your priorities would be our priorities as well. We ask for guidance through the preaching of the word of God in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 
The claim is that Pilate has ordered his forces to go into the temple while the Galilean people were offering their sacrifices, Galilean Jews. Supposedly, according to the reports, these Galileans had been murdered in cold blood by Pilate's forces, and their bodies, their blood had been mixed in with the animals in the sacrifice. My friend, what an appalling account this is. I mean, all of a sudden, everything stops, and you can imagine why. Why, first, they were worshipers. I mean, that means something, of course, to the people following Christ. Then they were Galileans. They were, they were not people that lived in the big city of Jerusalem. They were country folks. They were from places like Nazareth, where Jesus was from. I mean, what a stunning thing as all of a sudden the hard preaching, all of a sudden the powerful messages, all of a sudden the reminders of hell and of wrath and of the coming of Christ have come to a standstill because there is a news report that Pilate has marshaled his forces. They have broken into the temple. They have slaughtered God's people and their blood has been mingled with the sacrifices. It is really breaking news. Now we ought to stop for a moment and we should notice in verse number one a very critical word. The Bible says there were present at that season some. I do believe we have a name for that in our society. The sum of verse number one would be called unnamed sources. So the Bible tells us some told them of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, could I stop for a moment because there is a very distinct possibility that what we are reading in verse number one from the unnamed sources, it could be fake news. Now, I don't know for certain, but there certainly is a, a distinct possibility of this for a number of reasons. First of all, there is no other account or record in the Bible that this event took place. And, and of course, you know and I know, certainly, that all we need is one account in the Bible for truth to be truth. But there is also, could we add to this, and again, this is not a defining factor, but there is no record in any history book of this event. The most famous historian of the first century, of course, was a man named Josephus. He tells us in his book of three different massacres that the Romans committed against the Jewish people, but this one was not one of those three events. And the one thing you get when you read Josephus is that he had an intense hatred for Pilate, an intense hatred for Pilate. It is hard to imagine that had Pilate really done what we read about in this verse, if it really was true news, it would be hard to believe that Josephus would have not concluded it in his book, but he didn't. Now, having said that, we understand all we need is one account in the Bible, and all we need, we don't need a history book, we just need the Word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. But you know, the interesting thing is that some are reporting, so we need to at least raise the possibility, could be the report of verse number one, could it be fake news? Now, I understand living in Canada, you don't have a problem with that. I mean, of course, the esteemed honorable journalists of the CBC would never do such a thing. In America, however, the U.S., we are stricken with, uh, with companies like CNN and Fox News and MSNBC, other news agencies that are more than happy to create fake news on a daily basis. A story seemingly, at least in our country here, this side of the border, I'm sure it's different in Canada, but you know, we don't need it to be true. It gets reported, the rumor mill gets spread. I so-and-so is reporting, unnamed sources say, it no longer has to be true, it just has to be spectacular. We are certainly living in a culture where fake news is on every side. Well, could this have been 
fake news. You understand that as the masses are growing and they are following the Lord Jesus Christ, there's some motives people could have looking at that crowd. You see, the great enemy in first century Jerusalem and Judea and the entire land of Israel, Palestine, would have been the horrific Roman Empire and it would have been the horrible Caesars that were ruling them. Included of that, of course, would be the hated Pilate, the Herods that were despised by Jews who loved their religion. And it would be more than just a little possible for somebody to think, with these massive crowds following the Lord Jesus, if we could turn the message of Jesus into a political message against Rome, if we could get the multitudes that Jesus so easily seems to amass, and, and you know, as John the Baptist did before him, if we could get these crowds all stirred up, if we could get them all shaken up, if we could get these crowds to turn from this Messiah thing and turn instead to fighting Rome, we would have a chance here. I mean, we know that a few years after Jesus ascended into heaven, finally the zealots of Jerusalem and of Israel would get their wish. They would go to war with the Roman Empire. And if you've ever visited Masada, you know that, that that did not end well. And with great crowds following the Lord Jesus, there are more than a few that would think those great crowds would do a great job if we were fighting Rome. And they understand there's an agenda. There's always an agenda behind fake news. So there is at least a very possibility, good possibility for reason that this could be a, a, a fake news, that there are some with ulterior motives, that there are some unnamed sources that might exaggerate news stories. Because as time goes by, we begin to understand the multitudes are following Jesus, not because they want someone to deliver them from their sins. They want someone to deliver them from Rome. They are tired of the oppression. They are tired of the Roman Empire. Multitudes of these people want Jesus to be the one that is going to rescue them from Rome. So understand Luke chapter 13 verse number 1 is a very explosive moment for the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a very powerful choice to make because is he going to stand up and condemn Pilate and is he going to light the fires of war? War is already on the horizon. There is already rumblings of the Jewish people against the Roman Empire. Is Jesus going to throw gas on the fire? But what if the some are there to criticize him? What if they are trying to get him into a political speech so that they can say, oh, Mr. King Herod, you need to know what Jesus is saying about you. Oh, Mr. Pilate, when Jesus comes to this city, you need to know what he is saying about you in distant places. And then there is another side. If Jesus does not condemn the Roman authorities, are these zealots... Are the people in the multitude going to leave him? Could I just stop and say, following the multitudes in Luke chapter 14 and, and throughout the book of Luke is quite the amazing thing. I notice that when Jesus gives free meals and free miracles and free messages, there are big crowds. But you know, Jesus had a way of dealing with the crowd. And while we are convinced that the sign of the blessing of God is bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger crowds, to the Lord Jesus, he started with about 20,000 and he managed to whittle that crowd down to twelve. And when you think, well, all he had was 12, he asked them, will you also go away? And that's when Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And of course, Jesus said, well, I've chosen you 12 and even one of you is a devil. No, he managed to take 20,000. And while we're worried about numbers and crowds, he managed to take 20,000 and whittle them down to 11. It would appear he had a different view of the multitude. 
But you know, humanly speaking, this is an explosive moment for Jesus. If you don't launch into a tirade against the Roman government, uh, the people are going to abandon you. But if you do launch into a tirade against the government, word is going to get back to Herod. Word is going to get back to Pilate. And all of a sudden, the, the governments who seem to be letting you do what you want with these crowds and multitudes, they're going to start cracking down. You can almost hear the news agency. The conservative news agency is reporting that Pilate has brutally murdered innocent Galileans while these worshipers were offering their sacrifice. Roman forces have entered into the temple and brutally gummed them down. It is, of all things, breaking news. And of course, we mentioned Jesus is a Galilean. This is personal to him. These are his people. This is where he's from, the people that are just like him. So now we go to the Lord Jesus and all eyes are upon him. What is he going to do? Is he going to change his agenda? Is he going to develop a new program? Is he going to come up with a new message? You know, it was just a chapter earlier in chapter 12, verse number 49. He said, this is my mission statement. I am come to send fire on the earth. And what will I if I already be kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how am I straight? until it be accomplished. The word straighten tells us that there was enormous pressure in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the pressure was intense. He knows that he is going to Calvary. He is knowing he is going to a cross. The people believe he has come to deliver us from Rome, but he came to deliver them from their sins. The people think he has come to establish the messianic kingdom, but Jesus did not come to establish a kingdom upon this earth. He came to see people born again into the spiritual kingdom of God. He had a very different agenda and knowing that it was all headed to Calvary he said moments earlier the pressure inside is so intense I have an immersion a baptism to be baptized with and until I finally go to that cross the pressure is just going to get greater and greater and greater so in light of breaking news what is Jesus going to do it is expected that he is going to launch into a political diatribe and condemn the Roman government. It is expected that he is going to rally the people and make a grand political speech and say, forget the rest, but we have a bigger thing on the plate here. We have to deal with the wicked Romans and their armies. What is Jesus going to do? And with breaking news, and you can imagine in the multitudes, that's the only thing they're talking about. The Lord Jesus turns it right back on them. Look what he said in verse 2. What a response. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. Really? Now, you are expecting in verse number two, Jesus to say, the emperor's got to go. Pontius Pilate's going to meet the judgment of God. The Herods that tolerate these atrocities have someone to answer to. You would expect him to rally the people. You would expect a, an extremely angry response against the political leadership in Jerusalem. But he doesn't. Instead, he turns it right back on the multitudes that are in front of him. And he answers their question, what are you going to do with this breaking news with a question of his own? And yet even more astounding in verse number two is that he said, suppose ye that these gallons were sinners. Now that's not the word you're supposed to use in our culture. Our culture would say they're victims, they're victims, they're victims. It's astounding that the Lord Jesus is calling the victims sinners. But of course they're sinners. 
Just like you and me all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And while people are looking at these poor innocent victims that have lost their lives, the Lord Jesus knew there's a bigger picture, an eternal picture. Because what matters now is not so much how they died, but the fact that they did. Were they saved? Were those sins washed away? Had they come by grace through faith to the blood of the Lamb? In New Testament times, it was believed that the proportion of sin in a person's life meant that is the judgment or the death that you are going to face. But the Lord Jesus is making this a bigger point now. These are not martyrs. These are not victims. The Lord Jesus says they are sinners. And now all that matters is they are in heaven or are they in hell? Sinners. Sinners who need to be saved. And the Lord Jesus turns it right back on the people in front of him. There is going to be no attack against the emperors. There is going to be no attack against the governors. There is going to be no attack against the, the King Herods. There is going to be no attack against a political establishment. And when they were expecting a very political message, instead, the Lord Jesus looks square in the eyeballs of the people, of the some unnamed sources who are reporting this, and said, do you think that those people that died in the temple are worse sinners than everybody else. Because in verse number three, he said a stunning thing. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Jesus said, as horrible as a death like that may be, what you that are here today need to understand that is unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He goes there. He uses that word that shall not be used in modern houses of religion. He uses that word that shall not be spoken by modern ministers. It's the R word. It's the word repent. But the Lord Jesus says that unless you repent, just like those people who may have died in Jerusalem in that horrible tragedy, you are going to like Likewise, perish and die as well. And whether it be in a tragedy, whether it be in a horrible event, or you die of old age, unless you repent, you're going to perish as well. You need to be ready to meet God. You know, that word repent is a despised word in modern houses of religion, but it's a very common word in the Bible. The very first word that Jesus preaches in the word of God when he is on this earth is found in Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, here is the first word out of the mouth of Jesus as he is preaching in the New Testament. And the first word is the word repent. You know what nearly his last word was? Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And to a New Testament church, he said, be zealous therefore and repent. It is the bookends of the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent, repent. Sinners need to repent. A sinner needs to understand my sins have separated me from God. My only hope of eternal life is that I turn to a Savior and trust him to wash my sins away. If you would rather have your sins than Jesus, you don't want Jesus. If you would rather keep your sins than have Jesus wash them away, then you don't want Christ as your Savior. Repent may not be a common word in modern houses of religion, but the word repent is a Bible word. Repent, repent. Jesus said it again. And while the crowd is waiting for Jesus to condemn Pilate, and the crowd is waiting for Jesus to condemn the Roman authorities, he looks at the crowd and pretty much says, I'm not talking to Pilate because he's not here. 
I am not talking to the Roman emperors because they're not here either. But you are here. And if this story is so, the one thing that you need to know from this story is that if you don't repent, then one day you will perish and you will die and be in hell forever. My friend, can you imagine such a scenario? Can you imagine after a great disaster? Can you imagine after a, a, a time when the plane goes down, there's a, an earthquake, there's just a horrible natural event? Can you imagine a preacher standing up and when everyone is expecting words of comfort and everyone is expecting words Words of peace. Can you imagine a preacher looking at the people and saying, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. What a powerful preacher is the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you hear him stand in front of the crowd and, and saying, I'm not talking to Pilate. I'm not talking to the emperor. You are the folks that are here. You are the ones that will spend eternity in heaven or hell. You are the ones to whom you need to get the message of God. Oh, my friend, when everyone was expect, expecting a blistering message, the Lord Jesus had a far more important message to the people, prepare to meet thy God. If that weren't enough, he adds the emphasis, doesn't he? In verse number four, there are those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, thinking that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem. Whether or not the first story was fake news or real news, there's no doubt about this one. Siloam was a reservoir in the city of Jerusalem, the southeastern part of the city. It was a favorite pilot uh, project of the New Testament times. He stole money from the Jewish religious treasury. He built an aqueduct to Siloam and then he built this massive tower and the Jews hated Pilate. The Jews hated his work. The Jews hated his thievery. And anyone who would support Pilate and get a job building that tower, well, when that tower fell and 18 died, the Jewish people were convinced they got exactly what they deserved. And now the Lord Jesus said it again. In verse number five, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I mean, he said this story that you're hearing this morning uh, about these people in the temple. If they were slain, can you imagine what an atrocity it is? And then this story of the 18 who died when that tower fell upon them as they were building it in Jerusalem. What a horrible atrocity. But do you think that they were the worst sinners in town? You think they were the only ones who needed a savior? You think they were the only ones who needed to repent? That would be the thinking of the religion of the day, but it was not the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because whether you die in an atrocity like the one in Jerusalem, whether you die in a horrible accident like the Tower of Siloam, or you die of old age, the Lord Jesus said, what is true of every one of those people is true of you. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You see, the Lord Jesus is not stating that unrepentant people are all going to be brutally murdered or that they're all going to die in a horrible tragedy such as a tower falling. It cannot be talking about a violent death because not everyone dies a violent death. And when Jesus looked at the crowd in front of him and said, except ye repent, well, it, it may not be in the temple in a horrible way. It may not be in a catastrophe of a tower falling, but unless you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So he is not saying everyone is going to die in a horrible death. But what he is saying is that the people who died that day never saw it coming. 
The people woke up that morning, the Galileans, and went into the temple to offer sacrifices. You know, when they got out of bed, they never imagined this day is the day I'm going to die in a horrible way. Uh, the people are building that tower. They never imagined the tower would come down on them. When they kissed their wives goodbye and they patted their children on the head and they grabbed their lunch and walked out the door, they never imagined they weren't coming home for dinner that night. Because if they even thought this could happen, they certainly would not have been there that day. No one really realizes that moment. Oh, oh, I know you could visit a hospital tonight. You could go meet someone who was just a fighting for every last breath. They could be hooked up to every machine imaginable. Machines literally keeping them alive. But if you could talk to them, I mean, somebody who is a breath away from eternity will tell Pastor White, I'm going to beat this thing. I'm going to fight this thing. It's not over yet. Humans never believe that I am going to die right now. Humans never believe that this is the last opportunity. Nobody believes they're actually going to die today and then they're going to wake up in hell before the sun sets tonight because if they truly believe that, they would do something about it and act accordingly. No, humans think they got plenty of times. That's why they'll plan for their vacations. They'll plan for their family. They'll plan for their retirement. They'll plan for their children's education. They'll plan for everything, but they will not prepare to meet God. They think they've got plenty of tomorrows. They think they've got plenty of time. Nobody wakes up in the morning thinking, I am going to die and go to hell today, so I better make sure that I do something about it. Do you understand the incredible compassion? Because modern religion would look at Jesus and say, well, well how insensitive he is. But no, he's not insensitive. He loves the people. And he realizes that you can get all worked up in the news. You can get all worked up in political events. You can get all worked up and all stirred up about something you can't change anyhow. And Jesus says, you never stop to consider your own eternity. You never stop to consider your own soul. In other words, the one who really loves the people is the one who gives them what they need. The one who really loves the people is the one who is willing to risk their hating me because I am telling them the truth. And the Lord Jesus loves these people enough to say, unless you repent, whether you die in a tower, whether you die in a temple, or whether you die of old age, whether you die this week or whether you don't die for, for decades, the Lord Jesus said, unless you repent, you're going to die and be in hell forever. What powerful, somber words. My dear friend, if you have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a time for you to be saved that is right now. There is no event that's going to happen tomorrow in Canada or the USA that is going to be more important to your eternity and to you than believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to trust the way, the truth, and the life, the only hope for your soul. This is the moment to be saved. Tonight is the night to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I plead with you. You say, I don't understand. I need some help. There are more than one way that you can contact Pastor White. and You can have him help you from the Bible because with breaking news on every side, with the tragedies and the catastrophes and the disasters surrounding us, there is a message that comes from every single one of the, those disasters for every single one of us that unless we repent, unless we repent and turn from sin to Christ, unless we repent, we will perish just like them. But there is something here for the child of God, isn't there? Many tonight would say, I know the Lord, I know I'm saved, he has washed my sins away. Well, well, when Jesus heard the breaking news and he turned to the multitudes and said, except you repent, you're going to die suddenly as well. One day you're going to take your last breath, you need to be ready for that moment. Now, in verse number six, he had something for the disciples.
He spake also this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in the vineyard. So we have a landowner once again. He is not going to do the dirty work. Somebody else is going to be paid to plant the tree. But we notice that it is a fig tree. Figs are the, uh, the food, the fruit of the poor. So a fig tree is going to be used for basically poor people to get their food. But notice, this is very unusual, the fig tree was planted in the vineyard. The vineyard is an incredibly valuable piece of real estate. And so because this fig tree is in a vineyard, it's going to get special treatment. He came, and the Bible says he sought fruit thereon and found none. Well, fig trees are interesting trees in the Word of God. They would be worked for three years without fruit. It would be expected, according to Leviticus 23, that a fig tree would bring forth fruit on the fourth year. But that fourth year, the fruit would be reserved to the Lord. It would be given to the Lord. The first three years, anything on the tree would be unclean. The fourth year, the fruit would be good, but it would be dedicated to the Lord. So a man who planted a fig tree would expect a return in year number five. It would appear in the story that Jesus is telling the man has planted the tree. They've worked it for three years. On um, the fourth year, oh, whatever was there was given to the Lord, but evidently that didn't even work because in years five, six, and seven, for all the labor and all the effort, nothing grew on that tree. There was a lot of time. There was a lot of effort. There was a lot of money. And you know, that fig tree was planted in some very valuable ground. It was in a vineyard. You could plant other things in that vineyard and you could get a whole lot more money and a whole lot more from it. And after after seven years, there was no return on the investment. There was no response from the fig tree. So in verse number seven, then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on the fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? The owner of this vineyard has been incredibly patient. But you know, he's pretty much saying after seven years, it's time to cut the losses. This tree is taking up valuable space. There's a lot of things we can do with the territory. We can make a lot of money. And he answering said unto him, the servant now, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. The answer of the servant is astounding, isn't it? Common sense, business sense would say, cut it down. Cut your losses. I, I mean, don't let this stock go down to nothing. You're going to lose money, but at least you're not going to lose everything. Get rid of that fig tree and put something else in its place. But did you see what the servant said? We're going to labor. We're going to work all the more. We're going to dig about it. We're going to dung it. The answer was to dig it and dung it. More digging, more dunging. And in verse number nine, if it bear fruit well, then if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. What a story to tell. I mean, it's one thing to read this astounding story that Jesus gives, but it's one more thing when you put it in the context of the entire chapter. It begins with the breaking news story. Are you going to change the agenda? Are you going to do something different? You just said that your insides were straightened. The pressure was enormous because you had a job to do for the Lord. And now, 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 what are you going to do? And Jesus pretty much looked at the multitudes and said, no, we're not changing anything. Because the whole reason I've come is to seek and to save that which was lost. So what you need to know from these news accounts is that unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And now he tells the disciples the story. He said, there was a man with a vineyard and there was a fig tree taking up valuable space. And when he was ready to say, cut our losses and get rid of it, the answer was, let's work a little more. Let's labor a little more. The point of the story is that God loves one more year. And when we get frustrated and we say it's not working and we've been praying for this person to get saved and laboring for these people to get saved and we've been doing a work for God and after days and turn into weeks and they turn into months and they turn into even years. It's awfully easy to quit and say, let's move on to something else where our labors are going to be more beneficial. 
but the stories in the Bible to remind us. Matthew 18, 14. It is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. The story is in the Bible to remind us the Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If I mention the name George Mueller, instantly you think of a mighty man of prayer. You think of the man who prayed miracles from heaven, a man that saw God do great and wonderful works. But you know, George Mueller, by his own testimony, would tell you that the greatest prayer request he had in his life was not even answered until after he died. He prayed for a loved one, a friend of his to be saved, called his name before the throne of grace time and again. And when George Mueller died, the man still was lost. It wasn't until after the death of George Mueller, the man finally called on the Lord and he was saved. It's the grand reminder, isn't it? It's that Jesus did not come to give us a new president or a new prime minister. That Jesus did not come to give them a new emperor in the city of Rome. That Jesus did not come for grand political change. And while it's awfully easy for us to get our eyes off the prize. It's awfully easy for us to change the agenda. It's awfully easy for us to get wrapped up in the things that are not eternal. And the word of God, breaking news did not change the agenda for the Lord Jesus Christ. CBC is not supposed to set the agenda for Grace Baptist Church. The commission that you and I have from the Lord is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When they are saved, they are to be baptized into a New Testament church. It is the responsibility of that church to teach men and ladies, boys and girls, the whole counsel of God. And it is the job of New Testament churches to go into all the world and reproduce themselves. We have a commission. We have orders. It doesn't matter what the breaking news is today. It will not matter what the breaking news is tomorrow. God's people have orders from heaven and a job that we are to do. And when we are tempted to say, cut our losses, let's go on to something bigger. Let's go on to something better. Let's go on to something more important. There is a clarion call from the ministry of Jesus Christ. There is a reminder for you. You and for me tonight that we are to be about the master's business that we have a job to do for the king of kings and the lord of lords there is a world that needs to repent before they die and spend eternity in hell there is a world that needs to be saved before it is too late there is an invitation that needs to be extended before the last invitation is given one day the trumpet of the lord shall sound one day the dead in christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There is coming a day, Pastor White, when the last message will be preached at Grace Baptist Church. We better make sure until that day comes we are about the master's business. There is coming a day, Grace Baptist Church, that the last opportunity will be given to tell a sinner in Surrey, British Columbia how to be saved. Let's be about the master's business while there is still time. It is now. Now is the hour to be busy. Now is the time to serve the Savior. Now is the time to be invested in the work of the king. Now is the time to preach the word instant and in, in season and out of season. Now is the time to realize the enemy is Satan, the problem is sin, and the answer is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not the time to change the mission statement. This is the time to double down and say we are here to be about the master's business of going into all the world, of preaching the gospel to every creature, of seeing them baptized in the New Testament churches, of teaching the word of God, of starting churches to the glory of God. My friend, if you're not saved, I beg with you tonight to call on the name of Christ and be born again. If you know him as your
your Savior. Folks, these are the days where we need to be about the Master's business, the business of bringing sinners to the Savior, the business of standing on the Word of God, the business of exalting the truth of this book and the Savior of this book. It is time for us to say by the grace of God, no matter what the breaking news is, there is no news story more important than a sinner repenting and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. May God help us tonight to get about the business of the King. Lord, I ask and pray that you would help your people, that you would do a work of revival at Grace Baptist Church. Lord, please remind us yet again that it's the Master's business that matters. And Lord, for all the things and the allures and the fears of the world that, that can draw us away from the business of the King, I pray that you would raise up an army of men and ladies that would join Brother White and say, we're going to step out by faith and in times like these attempt great works for God. Now, my Lord, I pray for someone listening without Christ that they would hear the invitation of the Word of God, that they would repent and trust Jesus Christ alone to wash their sins away. May tonight be the night they are saved. In the grand name of Jesus, I come. Amen. God bless you. May the Word of God stir our hearts to serve Him. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.